0: We will continue the Holy Letters of the Balatanya, letter 11, which is known as to enlighten you with understanding. We are going into a fascinating journey, deep into enlightenment. And we have spent many shiurim discussing some hakdamas, some foundational concepts of chassidus, to begin to appreciate the depth and the enlightenment of understanding. And We have already had multiple shiurim just on the first two lines of this letter, which as we started to explain, this letter comprises of three parts. The first two words, which are the entire letter which is to enlighten with understanding. Which is, ultimately speaking, when we will finish this letter, a person will truly be enlightened with understanding. And if he will hold on to that enlightenment, his life will be changed. Yes, it's possible he will deviate. It's possible that he would move away from the enlightenment when he has a lack of energy, when he's not healthy. When he's not aware, when he's not a tentative. But once he reverts back to his original enlightenment, once he thinks about the concepts themselves, he will automatically become enlightened. It's like an example of a person who has a factory, has been doing his business a certain way for many years, and then one day he meets with a consultant and he shows him he's doing it backwards and he's spending an enormous amount of time and wasting energy and an enormous amount of money producing the way he's been doing it. And admitted, he teaches him a quicker way, a more efficient way, a smarter way, a less costful way, the owner will instantly go back, instantly go and incorporate this concept so he saves the money, so he does it more efficiently. Now it is possible that people could go back to what was, because they are used to, A person is monotonous, he's used to doing what he's doing. It is possible the employees will get confused, and it's possible even the owner will get confused. But as soon as he gets back to the enlightenment, as soon as he reminds himself of the truth, of a more efficient way of doing it, he will instantly spring back. And ultimately the whole entire letter over here is comprised in two words, Las to, to enlighten with understanding, to understand that everything boils down to enlightenment with understanding. Just by knowing it is very enlightened. Just by knowing it, you're already enlightened. And the mere knowledge alone, if you don't move from it, if you hold on to it, if you're completely aware, you stay in a space of enlightenment. Then he's gonna go on. The second part of the letter is these three lines which says, this is not by the way which the light of God will dwell in your body. By desiring a life of the flesh. That is the essence of enlightenment. So there's enlightenment which you need in order to be enlightened. There's the, the knowledge, the light going on. And the darkness disappears. And then what is the enlightenment? What is it that I'm going to give you that's enlightenment? The second part of the letter is the enlightenment alone, which is this cryptic yet beautifully poetic life-transforming sentence that the light of God will not dwell in you. This is not the way in which the light will dwell in you by you desiring a life of the flesh, which is very cryptic and we have to understand what it means. And then the third part of the letter is to understand how can I incorporate that into my life? How can I understand that? How can I become one with it? How can I meditate on it? How can I make sure that I don't lose that enlightenment? And if you meditate very deeply and very carefully on all those shiurim that we had in the past few weeks, you will see that we have already started the enlightening process because we we are able to see clearly that the key to enlightenment, the key to eliminating all suffering, the key to being alive starts in the mind. It starts with clarity of purpose. It starts with reframing and refocusing and and observing. What am I doing here? So if if I can focus on my purpose and if I can get clarity of my purpose, and I don't move away from that, I am instantly enlightened. So the first part of the letter is then is to be enlightened, you need to be enlightened in your mind. You need to have clarity in your mind. Now that we know that, what is enlightenment? Enlightenment is one sentence. Not by this path will the light of God dwell in your flesh. Will the light of God dwell in you by desiring a life of flesh? Very cryptic, but that is enlightenment. And this is what we're spending enormous amount of time in going to understanding these cryptic words. Now once we are gonna fully understand it, how do I not move away from this enlightenment? I know that I need enlightenment, which means clarity awareness, which means the sun should go on, the light should go on in my mind. I should have a youthful, vibrant, fresh mind. I know that I need enlightenment. I know that I'm not enlightened, I'm dark, I'm petty, I'm worried, I'm I'm running after nonsense, I'm wasting my life, I'm asleep. So I know the difference between being asleep and being awake is that my mind is fully fresh. I had a coffee, I'm fully, completely awake and aware. And I know what that means conceptually, what that means to be spiritually aware of my purpose. Because if I'm aware of my purpose, then I'm not worried, then I'm not dark, then I'm not depressed, I'm not sluggish. So I know that that means enlightenment. But I don't know what enlightenment is. I don't know how do I hold on to enlightenment, because I don't even know yet what it is. I know the beginning, that enlightenment itself is what I'm gonna know in my mind. Because the way I think is the difference the way I'm gonna be. If I'm trapped, if I'm attached, I'm not enlightened. So enlightenment starts in the mind. The second thing is what is enlightenment? Says the Balatanya, enlightenment is knowing that not by this path will the light of God dwell within me, but which path? The path of desiring a life of the flesh. But do I know what that means? That's cryptic language. So the second part is to understand what that means, which we're gonna go into deeper today. And then the third part is, now that I know what means enlightenment, and I'm fully enlightened, how do I hold on to that? How do I not move away from that? How do I make sure that after this year, I remain enlightened? How do I incorporate this and invigorate? How does this infiltrate? How does this possess me to the point that I'm completely enlightened, that I'm living a fresh life, a youthful life, that I don't squander my life away, that I suck the marrow out of life, that I live in a space where I'm happy, that I live in a space where I'm content, that I live in a space where I'm serving my purpose, where I'm having a meaningful life, a purposeful life. That's gonna be the third part of the letter, the longer part of the letter, where the Balatag is gonna go deep into what needs to be the person's meditation to hold on to this enlightenment. So we are holding now, after all that dumbness, on a deep journey into enlightenment to understand now that I know that I need to be enlightened, what is the essence of enlightenment? And the Balatanya starts with this cryptic language, which we're going to repeat it a few more times to see how cryptic it is, but when we understand it to see how beautiful it is. Instead of saying... The purpose of your life is that the light of God should dwell in you. Instead of saying that the way that the light of God should dwell in you do not desire the life of the flesh, he doesn't use that language. He actually used backwards language. He says, this is not the way in which the light of God will dwell in you by desiring the life of the flesh. What does he want to tell us with this? The person writing the letter is suffering and pain. He's crying that he lost some material thing. Either either his children are sick or he is sick or something has been disrupted in his life. And the Balatanya writes to him a letter. This is not the way in which the light of God will dwell within one by wanting a life of the flesh. He never asked about the light of God dwelling within him. And why not just respond, if you want a life of the flesh, you will not have the light of God dwell within you. This is the essence of enlightenment. The essence of enlightenment is what we've been doing the last couple of shiurim, which is, that to understand what means life, you need to understand what means death. To understand what means joy, you need to understand what means suffering. To understand what means light, you need to understand what means darkness. Because darkness only has meaning in contrast to light. But light is only known if you're confronted with darkness. A person's on the way, he's traveling somewhere. And a person tells him, The way you're going, that's not the way where you're going to get to where you're trying to go. This is not the way. If a person focuses on what? If you tell a person... You need to focus on light. You need to focus on joy. You need to focus on happiness. You need to be a positive person. You need to do mitzvahs. You need to have a purpose for life. Will anybody change because of that? Will anybody make any change? We are spending enormous amount of time to see why people don't change. The average person doesn't change. Yet many people are learning this and their marriage has changed and their life has changed and they are becoming more purposeful. What is the reason for that? Because only when you are contrasted with life and death do you start to live. Only in the last day of your life, only when a person is about to lose everything does he wake up and start to live. But then it's too late. Only a person who has deep understanding of what means darkness, deep understanding of what means pain, could he really appreciate joy. Because continuous joy is no joy at all. And it's expected, and if, in fact, it brings dissatisfaction. <coughs> because it becomes monotonous. The joy itself becomes monotonous. Because a person is a constant state of light. So it's actually the understanding, the knowledge. Like we explained about that woman, who her own brother, when he passed away, and the last argument, the last conversation she had with him was very negative. It was full of sorrow, it was full of pain. It was an insignificant conversation where she screamed at him for some, about some petty thing. And then she thought to herself the rest of her life, how would I treat somebody if it was the last conversation I'm having with them? And she lived a full life because of that. She never spoke to anyone negativity. She never used any story, any reactivity, any ego, anything negative. Because in front of her eyes always was this idea She wants to live with the person who's here, not with the story, not with the reactivity, not with the negativity. (sighs) So when faced with death, the opposite automatically happens. You don't have to do anything for it. When you're able to see very clearly what is death, instantly you will be able to see what is light. It's the mere meditation of what pain is, where you will choose the opposite instantly. But we're too busy to make these calculations. It's the mere observation. It's the mere observation in your mind, the deep observation in your mind, like a business owner who's going to be sheared with the secret of his business. This is not the way you're going to make a billion dollars, by running the company this way. When he's able to see that this is not the way, then instantly he's able to see what is the way. If you keep on going in this way, the person has to clearly see. He has to be contrasted both when he's looking at something. What his purpose is, the purpose of a person's purpose is the end of the mission. Is the end, I'm trying to get a billion dollars, I'm trying to get something. But who's, who's thinking about the purpose? Who's thinking about the destination? The destination has to be the primary focus of the journey. So a person comes to the end of his life and he says, Oh my gosh, give me a few more minutes, I want to Hashem. I want to be present with my family, I want to be present, I want to do my purpose. Now you're thinking about it? Where were you the whole life? I was on a journey. I got busy. So we take the mission of a person's life, Yishkun Hashem, which is right now. It's not gonna be in the end of your life. I'm having so much fun on the journey, I'm passing all these beautiful mountains and valleys. I'm not focusing right now on my destination, that I'm going in the wrong path that I'm driving south and my destination is north. Because I'm not focused on where I have to get to. I have to get to the Colorado mountains. But the fact that I'm driving in the opposite direction, I'm enjoying the scenery right now. Person's enjoying the scenery, he doesn't have time to be busy with what his goal, what his mission is. But the further away you get from your mission, which is Yishkenot Hashem which is right now. Which is living a full life, a meaningful life. The further you get away from your mission, the harder it is for you to incorporate this. So you have to say, This is not the way by which you're gonna meet your purpose, by which you're gonna have what you want, the destination, where you're looking to do, why you came on this world. To run after the opposite way, which is the life of the flesh, and if you go very deeply into this, what is the life? What is Yiskenoir Hashem? You will instantly see that going after a life of the flesh is the opposite of Yiskenoir Hashem. Yishkenoid Hashem means the dwelling of my presence of my soul in my body, the dwelling of God in my body. To be alive, to be fully vibrant, to be fully alive is the purpose of life. And to be attached, to be rooted, to run after a moment in time, to run after one pleasure... It's not the path by which you're gonna get that life should flow through you, that you should be easy, that you should be fresh, youthful, vibrant, that you should live in the moment, that you should live in the, in, the, in the space that you would wish to live for another hour if you were given that hour, that you would give up every single dollar that you have, every single focus, every single becoming, every single hope, every single aspiration. You would give that all up just to have one more hour, but you're too asleep to wear, or be aware of it. We are too asleep, we all, collectively, are just not focusing on this because, the, because enlightenment means just to be aware of it, to be focused on it, to think about it, to meditate on it. But we're too busy on the way than to focus on the purpose, which is Yishkan HaRashem, which is to be alive right this moment, which is the end of becoming, the end of our hopes, the end of aspirations, the end of attachment, which means to be alive, not to be trapped. So when we understand that the path that we're on is a path of attachment, is a path of the tremendous sorrow, tremendous suffering, then instantly we know what the opposite is. We don't have to explain to a person what's life. We don't have to explain to him. You don't have to do nothing to live. You don't have to do nothing to enjoy the moment. The billion dollar, the 10 billion dollar, the trillion dollar joy that you have inside you is inside you, it's free. It's like a guy who's sitting on a box and he's collecting for many years. He's going after petty scraps of, of who knows what. And then one day somebody tells him what's in the box that you're sitting on. Tells him I have no idea and you open up the box and it's full of diamonds and gold, billions of dollars. This is the story of our life. One moment in time, the Balatanya says, when a person finds out he's about to leave this world He says, just give me another day. I will give everything I have. I'll take all the types, the worst types of, the worst types of medicines, the worst types of anything to be another day in this body. Says the Balatanya. Why does a person not do this? Because he's not aware. He's not aware that he's squandering away his life. And where does this come from? The fact that he says, Why do I want to be alive for another day? Because my soul is interacting with my body. My soul is deeply in my body. It's live, it's pumping, it's it's animating this body. So, therefore, I get confused and I think that I can hold on to this moment that my soul is in my body. Wow, what pleasure that is. It's beyond anything. And therefore, I'm going to run after my body, run after my idolizations, and run after my hopes, run after this one moment in time where I could enjoy a piece of cake in one moment of time where I can enjoy some type of thing in this world, which is the magic of this world for one moment. And I want to hold on to that high and run after it. Because it's the interaction with besarim, with basar, with my flesh, with my body, and my soul. But the Baal Tanya says, (laughs) but in order that the light of your soul should be present all the time in your body. (coughs) Not for one moment. The Yishkanot Hashem, it should be present. Can you really hold on to it? Can you have it when you're attached, when you're deeply rooted? You're attached to your furniture, you're attached to your home, you're attached to your logo, you're attached to your success, you're attached to your image of yourself, your image of your spouse, your image of your children. If you're selfish, if you're celebrating your body now, is that going to be the path? Can you really do that? So it's the magic alone of life that distorts a person's mind. Because I wish I could be here for one more minute. Because the magic of soul and body coming together is incomparable to anything. But what is the purpose of that soul and body coming together? That the body should be surrendered, that should be a portal, that should be a temple for God. That my mind should be fresh, youthful, and vibrant and awake. Not that it should be worried full of anxiety that my heart should be full of passion and compassion. But can my heart be full of compassion and passion if I'm wanting something? If I want my own success, I want my own moment in time, my own idolization, my spouse should honor me and compliment me and what are you doing for me? Am I alive then? Is that the life I'm talking about, a trap moment? I'm hurt, my image of myself was hurt, my spouse shut me down because my spouse was upset and now I'm shut down and I'm gonna hold that for 30 years? And I'm going to show who's boss. Is that really life? So is wanting, is the root of all suffering, the wanting, the aspirations, the wanting of more than what is. So the ultimate story of my life is to be enlightened, to be youthful, to be vibrant, to be fresh, to be alive. Which is the highest pleasure man has. Which ultimately speaking is the purpose of his life. That he should be kind, and he should be compassionate, unattached to anything. And he should be living with what is, all the time. And he should die to every single thing of his past, every single moment, to die to every single thing. To die to all of his memories, all of his attachments. To live exactly how he would live the last day of his life. Because then Yishqunoyr Hashem, then the real magic of life happens. Then his brain is fully alive, then he's fully youthful, he's fully optimistic. And his heart is full of passion. An unlimited passion, an unlimited compassion. And then he's living with it in 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 a space where there's no room for any pain. Because the clearer you focus on this, the clearer you focus on this, the more you focus, the darkness instantly disappears. When you meditate very carefully on what it is, on what it's not, when you meditate very carefully from a panoramic view on what is a life of attachment, the other happens instantly. Know your collective purpose, where you're going, what your mission is. It's to be present at every single moment, to realize the newness of this moment, to be one with God, to have your soul dwell in your body, be present in your body. Can you go? Could you hold on to your soul? Could you trap it? And then say, could you trap it with anxiety? Person's on a plane and he thinks he's holding up his plane with his mind. And he's nervous every minute, he can't talk to anybody, he's trapped. But he doesn't know that, he's doing that 30 years. One day you tell him, do you see the illusion of holding on the plane with your mind? And if he meditates on this one minute, two minutes, three minutes, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. He drops the attachment to that anxiety and it's gone. He can talk to everybody, because he's not holding up the plane with his mind. So it's the mere knowledge alone that sets a person free. It's your perception will set you free. Your perception, your enlightenment will set you free. But how do I hold on to that enlightenment? I got it in the She'er now. Now I'm beginning to get it. How do I hold on to that enlightenment? And that's what the al is gonna explain deeply in this letter. So we, in order to hold on to the enlightenment, we first have to go very deeply into why is not a life running after the body, running after my attachments, running after my, tr- running after idolization of, of- <clears throat> of my life of the flesh, why is that not the way? And once we can understand why that's not the way, the other will instantly happen. There will be instant enlightenment. The person will live a life of fullness, of vitality, of energy, of youthfulness. A life fully fulfilled, full of joy. Joy that's not something that he can hold on to, joy that flows through him. There's no holding on to it. It's Yishqen HaRashem, the light of God is present in the presence. Because life only happens in the present. It doesn't happen in the future. It doesn't happen in the past. It happens in the present. It flows through you. It's present in you. But it's not something you could hold on to. And holding on to it is the root of all suffering. And when you let go, you instantly the opposite is. And that is the root and the beginning of enlightenment.